0: Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipness. When we're talking about growing a business, there are so many facets to it. A lot of times it leads to marketing, but a lot more of it is about who's in your network, what are you talking to them about? What's your mindset going into those conversations to allow that networking, to allow that person to understand the value that you bring? There are so many aspects to growing a successful business and multiple businesses that we want to dig into each one specifically. And today, we're going to talk about a lot of those through my conversation. This is Adam Kipnis, host of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Appreciate you being here and appreciate C-Suite Radio for being our platform and taking great care of us. My guest today uh, has had multiple businesses. He was a financial advisor. He worked in that space. He trained other financial advisors, went through a turning point in that business that allowed him to train other people in a very different way that we'll dig into a little bit, and then sprung sprung him forward into what he does now. He's the president of Model FA, David Desell. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. And- Uh, I think we're going to have a very interesting conversation, but I always like to start with understanding how you got here. And a lot of that is your journey in the entrepreneurial space. Was this something that you knew from the day you were born or how did it come about that you got to the space of starting your own company?
1: Yeah, I think it started, so back when I was about 16 years old, I, uh, with a friend of mine in high school, had a boat detailing and repair company where he actually started uh, working at a company called West Marine, and people would come in into the store and ask him how to, you know, buff and wax a boat or do gel coat repairs, and, you know, when he would talk to him about it, he knew his stuff, you know, in and out. And then a couple of people said, well, can you just do it for me? And so he came to me and said, Hey, you know, let's start this business. It was called HD Marine. And, you know, for the next probably about four and a half, five, uh, years. So about four or five summers, that's all we would do is we would go and, and detail boats and we'd travel all throughout Massachusetts and New Hampshire. And that's, that's where it all began, uh, at the, at the start. It's
0: interesting that you say do you want to start this business with me because when you're younger and you're detailing boats or doing something as a as a summer gig so to speak uh it, it's really client to client and hopefully they refer you and hopefully you do some marketing or advertising when did it turn into a business rather than in words but in practice
1: yeah i would say that this was a business uh ish <laughs> <laughs> And I say that because you know we were you know between sixteen and, and twenty twenty one years old when we had started it, so you know uh it was you know something where you know the first summer, you know I think we made like five grand each or something like that, um you know, after expenses, and then by the fourth or fifth year, uh, we made about twenty grand each after all the expenses, so it wasn't like a legitimate business uh in the sense that we we consider legitimate businesses today, but it scratched that entrepreneurial itch. It, you know, got us client facing it. There was a lot of uh, lessons in between that we had learned and uh, you know, it, it set the stage for the rest of my career uh, at that point. I bet. I,
0: I, I bet there's a lot that you now use that you can pull from both good and bad, but in, in, from year one to year five in that particular business, what, what did you see change within the two of you, from that first boat until year five when you had an ongoing business, because twenty grand in the summer per person after expenses means you're probably doing fifty sixty seventy thousand dollars in a summer, which is a, a pretty good sum for two guys to do. so what did you really see change looking back on it now over those five years?
1: I think that we you know kind of flew by the seat of our pants when we first started, and how it transformed over the years is. You know, we got, a, we got a truck, we were more organized with our materials, we kept track of our repeat clients, we had, you know, uh, referral uh, bonuses or strategies where if a client would introduce us to someone else, you know, they'd get a free service or they'd be able to offer their friend, you know, a discount on the services. Um, we, there was a particular pier in a place called Rockport, Mass., where we started with one sailboat and we ended up pretty much taking over that entire pier. Uh, just through word of mouth, so I mean the main thing that we learned is that when you you know you do the right thing and you do quality work and you stand by that work, and if someone is dissatisfied for whatever reason you go and and you make it right that that you know transfers to you know growing the business and and being able to help out other people so I, you know one of the main lessons I learned from that is just doing the right thing and you know doing quality work and and as a result of that people will, people will talk about you in a positive light.
0: And Rockport is a beautiful place in the summer for listeners who have never been there. Uh, you should definitely go <laughs> make it time to go there. It's a small town, but it's beautiful. The, the water's great. Lots of cool restaurants near the water. Um, I've had a chance to spend some time there when, when you were in that business being, you know, teenagers in your early twenties, I'm sure you had a lot of people said, this is never going to work. Go get a job but you also probably had an equal number of people giving you advice. How did you understand which advice to take from people who were well-meaning, but you didn't know if they were the right people to listen to?
1: That's a really uh, good and interesting question. I, I've gotten that before, and, and I guess how I would answer that is when people give advice, it, it doesn't matter who it is, right? Typically, they have the best intentions, but what you need to look at is you know, are they doing what you're trying to do, right? Is there uh, credibility, right? So for example, and I'll just kind of uh, take a snippet from my financial planning days that we'll probably get into. But when I would sit down with the prospect and go through their financial plan and then they bounced it off of their parents who were say in the trades, right? And not a financial advisor, maybe they were an attorney, but not a financial advisor it's like, hey, I, I appreciate their input, but they don't do what I do, right? Um, so you know, back to the boat business, if you know someone wasn't at a certain stage of life or hadn't amassed a certain amount of you know wealth that I was looking to amass or haven't achieved what I was looking to achieve, I would just take that advice with a grain of salt, knowing that it's coming from a very, very good place, but it may not be relevant, so I had to seek out you know, mentors and, and people that were where I wanted to be and source my advice or, or their advice uh, in that way.
0: And, and I'm assuming that sprung you forward to where you are today, where you do that for others. So there are probably a, lo- a lot of great lessons that you learned there that we'll dig into. Last question sort of on the boat business is <clears throat> there's a saying that the, the two greatest days of, of a boat owner's life are the day you buy the boat and the day you sell the boat. <laughs> And so in, in working with boat owners, they were probably successful. They obviously had money or some discretionary money if they, if they owned a boat. So they probably had business experience. What did you learn from your clients in that time?
1: So uh, there were a handful of clients that were not shy to give advice to, to 16 year old kids. Um, And (laughs) at, at the beginning it was like, you know, it rubbed us the wrong way. Like, oh, uh, who it like, you know, the worst advice is unsolicited advice until you have a chance to reflect and, and you know, remind yourself or, or convince yourself that, yeah, you know what, they're right. Um, so there were some people that uh, had helped us from a pricing standpoint where they actually shared with us that we were underpricing. There were some people, or there was one uh, instance in particular where we were doing like an 80 something foot yacht in Newburyport, Mass. And on our watch, uh, the stainless steel ladder, which is about twenty five hundred bucks or more in terms of a price tag, the waves had sort of. It was a perfect storm where it had lifted the boat and unhinged the ladder, and the ladder actually fell off the dock and went to the bottom of the ocean, uh, right, right where that where it was positioned. So we called the owner, and you know we were, you know, I think we were eighteen or nineteen at the time, and we're you know blaming the water because of it, and uh, he's a super you know, wealthy person. And, you know, he was like, all I'm looking for is for you to take ownership because it happened on your watch. And that really hit home with me. And, and you know, so one of the things I learned from, from him and his name's Joe is you got to take ownership, whether it's your fault or not, you just have to, you know, be able to swallow your pride and, and say, Hey, you know, that did happen on my watch. Let's figure out a way to fix it. And we ended up, you know, working through that scenario. And he had a friend actually who, you know, put on a scuba gear and went down and got it uh, the next day, but he was just looking for us to take ownership. And that's a lesson, you know, fast forward, you know, 10 or 11 years that is still, still stuck with me today.
0: No, that's so important. And it's one of the hardest things for business owners to do because for many of us, it's easy to try to explain rather than understand and fix it and move on, right? We, we. It's easy to say, well, this happened and then this happened. And a lot of people, they don't want excuses. One of my coaches once said, no one cares how good your excuses are. So how do you translate that into today's day-to-day life fast forwarding? How
1: do you take ownership? So... I actually made a post about this on my uh, social media the other day and and someone commented on it to the, the effect of, you know, you can't take ownership on everything because some things just aren't your fault. So if you think about, you know, if you get cancer or, you know, if you get, you know, hit in a car accident or something like that, it's like, well, how can you take ownership around that? Uh, and maybe you maybe you can in, in the specific instance, and maybe you maybe you cannot. But when when I reference taking ownership, I more so am referencing the ownership in your response, right to whatever it is that happens. So if you get cancer, right, are you going to curl up in a ball or are you going to fight through it, right? If you get in a car accident, are you going to you know point fingers or are you going to try and come up with a solution? Right? If someone says no to you, are you going to say that it's, it's their fault and, and it's their problem, or are you going to go back and reflect on what you could have done differently? So whenever I am in a situation, good, bad, or indifferent, the way I try and take ownership is to ask myself three questions, which is what, am I suppo- or what did I do to put myself in this situation? What am I supposed to learn? And how am I going to get better because of it? So if I go to the extreme of that car accident example, It's like, yeah, someone may have hit me, but if we're being real, I was probably going you know, 38 or 42 in a 30-mile-an-hour zone, and if I was actually going the speed limit, I probably wouldn't have been in that exact place at that exact moment, and therefore, I wouldn't have gotten in an accident. So what I learned from that is for me to go the speed limit so that you can still take ownership in those scenarios, but I found that those three questions not just help with taking ownership, but also... Uh, helps with overall self-awareness as well.
0: That's a perfect segue, and and I appreciate that. I, and I and I love things in steps. So it makes it really easy to remember. Um, and but when you tra- you transitioned into being a financial advisor, and very quickly began sort of running a training team or bringing on new advisors, trying to make your office as good as it can be, and in that world, the economy can. Can change on you. The markets can change on you. There are things that are unforeseen that as an advisor, you can plan for, but you can't stop. How do you use those three things? Or how did you use those three things in that world?
1: So in terms of the economy, I was fortunate in that I started in, you know, 2011. Uh, so it was past the 2008 stuff. And, uh, ever since then, uh, The market's been on a tear. Uh, So (laughs) I guess uh, if I may, can I answer the question, you know, more so around uh, the leadership development and bringing on advisors and things like that?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was going to be my next question as well, because you (laughs) changed course in (laughs) what you were doing at that firm in how you first started and then how you learned to do it. So definitely take it in that direction
1: yeah so um I ran our new advisor development program uh, at the company that I was with, and you know we were ranked three hundredth out of about three hundred and fifty offices based on our team's production. I took it over I was about twenty two years old, and I had no clue what I was doing and we had a mission that was um, you know our mission is to identify the future leaders of our firm and to make sure that people are better off having met us than having not met us so What I would find myself doing as a quote unquote, you know, leader is if I found that a particular advisor, right, if I didn't think that they were actually going to make it or if they had communicated to me that they weren't going to, you know, do this full time or or do this for the long term, I would kind of just check out and not pay attention to them as much as I could have. And as a result, we We didn't do well at all, right? We ranked 300th, and then over the next four years, we brought it up to the number one performing uh, team in the country for a period of time. And the shift was pretty simple, right? So, so if I first start with the three questions, well, what I do to put myself in this scenario, I didn't care, actually care enough about the people who were checked out, and that affects culture, right? What am I supposed to learn? I'm supposed to learn that. I need to treat people uh, the way that I want to be treated, and I need to pour a bunch of mentorship uh, into them, regardless of you know what it is that they want to do. And what am I going to do to get better um, and you know move forward? Is I'm going to switch the mission, right? So the mission became: I want to make sure that you're better off having met us than having not met us, and to identify the future leaders of our firm. So all I did was I switched the mission around, and it allowed me to actually care about these people, and when they wanted to transition out, I would help them find, you know, new jobs. And if they wanted to just get an experience for the time that they were there, because the new advisor development program was a combination between, you know, the internship and, and full-time people. So for the interns who may not want to do it forever, right, I just needed to make sure that they had an unbelievable experience. And we focused on personal development, not just financial planning, And as a result, right, we raised through the ranks and and went up to that number one spot. So it was just that simple shift in mission that allowed for that change.
0: I love that. And congratulations on the success that you had there. And I've got a question around helping those that may not be a perfect fit, right? It's, 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 I guess, hard not to get caught up in trying to fix others at the expense of the business, right? You were in a performance business and you needed to bring on clients. You needed to grow your office, but at the same time, you're helping people that aren't going to be there for the long term to help themselves. How did you marry the two? Because it's great that you helped other people and that they're still in your lives and they've had success in other ways, but you didn't do it to the detriment of your office. How did you marry those two and actually make that a reality? So
1: I guess, the the people who didn't uh, stay, right? So b- basically, I, I would segment the 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 two different groups, right? The people who want to stay and the people who, uh, you know, may not have wanted to stay is is the way I'll put it. And for both groups of people, I focus heavily on their personal development, right? Just making sure that they're better humans having come into the program. And then the people who did want to stay and actually learn about financial planning, we would focus on that stuff too. And what I found by, you know, actually caring about the people who I knew were going to transition out at one point, those people have maintained, or I, you know, we've maintained our friendship, our relationship, and those have become fruitful since then, right? They've made introductions or they, you know, have, uh, you you know, they've introduced me to certain people that have turned into, you know, business today. So, you know, those relationships are still alive and, and flourishing. And it's all because they get the sense, which is true, that I actually do care about them. And as a result, they want to stay involved with what it is that we're working on. And we want to stay involved in what it is that they're working on. So it's, it's all, you know, understanding that every person that you come across is, is a lottery ticket. You never know which one is going to pop and, uh, and be amazing for you. Um, And as long as you are maintaining those relationships, you know, something will come out of them at some point in time.
0: I I love that. And it's turning, you know, people that are in your lives into referral partners and into raving fans, even if they're not a client. And that brought you to where you are today. Now you left that, that particular business. You stayed in the field and you got more into a coaching and consulting business which is what you were doing at at your prior firm, what led you to say, all right, I'm going to do something different because I've learned all these things and I think I can make a difference in, in a different and better way.
1: Yeah. So I felt as if I went about the, the training and development in a slightly different way than, than most people throughout the system. Um, you know, I, I wanted to appeal to the way that millennials learned and I wanted to have a company that, uh, you know, created content on a regular basis so that people could learn at scale and didn't need to, we didn't need to necessarily trade our time to be able to help people out in certain instances. Um, and we could focus our efforts on trading our time for, for people that could afford, uh, you know, the services, um, but not limiting the impact that we have on the industry. So when I first got the sense that I wanted to start the company, um, my financial planning firm that I was a part of was supportive, assuming that I would only work with, you know, their advisors throughout the country. And that just wasn't a part of my vision. So back in April of 2018, decided to leave and start a company called the financial advisors Alliance, uh, which is a a multifaceted coaching and consulting company. And we focused on digital training. We focused on uh, some group coaching stuff. We focused on individual relationships, you know, with these advisors and we've, we help them with building relationships with their networks. We help them with personal branding and content creation, uh, not so much on just selling or slinging products to people, um, but actually doing what's in their best interest and focus on the, the relationship as opposed to the transaction. So that started, you know, back in April of 2018. Fast forward to today, Um, I've done a lot of work uh, alongside another company that you mentioned at the beginning, the model FA, uh, and they actually just acquired uh, my company and named me the president of their firm and our values, our morals, our vision uh, is in alignment. It was truly a, you know, stronger together type scenario. And, you know, that's what, that's what brought us to today.
0: And you've talked a lot about relationships and personal development. When you, when, personal development obviously take, takes many, um, many, di- I guess, different, different facets. It could be books. It could be learning. It could be, um, different types of, of thinking differently, asking the right questions and, and leads to ideally better relationships. How do you take personal development and lead it to those better relationships? How do you bring those two things together?
1: So I think it starts with cons the, the consumption of content. Right, So be it audio books, you know, podcasts like this, um, you know, when you find someone who you, know, you really enjoy their information, making sure that you're connecting with them on the various social platform to get a sense of some of their micro content as well. And it's just consuming as much as you can uh, from a personal development perspective. And then the next step to actually translate that into something fruitful, be it building relationships or whatever the scenario may be. You actually have to put it into action. So I found myself, uh, I listened to a bunch of podcasts on a particular show, and I felt as if I had all the information, but I hadn't done anything with it. And this is when I, you know, right around when I first started my business, um, uh, the FAA. And so I actually went back and re-listened to every, every single episode, and I wrote down the one or two things that I was going to actually implement and take action on. And that's where the rubber really started meet, you know, meeting the road. Where you know relationships were flourishing, you know, revenue was coming in, growth was happening. So I feel like oftentimes, you know, we may consume a bunch of content but not actually do anything with it. So if you actually want to, you know, make it worth your time, it's figuring out okay, what's the appropriate action that I need to take, and actually going and taking that action so that the people around you can benefit from from that action that you're taking.
0: And I, I love it. It's like we scripted this. Um, <laughs> because one of the things in, in taking action is always the biggest thing. Even the wrong action is better than no action in, in many, many cases, especially when moving a business forward. But one of the things that you've been very successful with, which is really hard to do, is build relationships through social media. Right? A lot of people put content out and put content out and put content out but they don't actually figure out how to personalize those relationships or monetize those relationships. What are you doing that people listening can learn from, from a social media standpoint to turn that content into connection?
1: So I'm, I'm so glad that you asked that question because it's something that is a big issue where whether it's advisors or anyone who's building a personal brand, they're like, you know, oh, it looks good in the surface, but like you, you don't actually make any money from it. And that's just not true. They're just doing it wrong. So let me, let me share an example, um, you know, as to why it's not working. And then I'll give some insight as to how to make it work. So let's say, for example, I'll just use an advisor uh, because that, that comes naturally. So if you're an advisor and you work with retirees, let's say, And you fill up a room, and there's a hundred people in that room, and you put all your best information across the wall, and you give them the best handouts, right? Basically, you know, you give them all the answers, right? And then everyone files in, and then you go and stand in the corner and don't actually talk to anybody. You can't really be upset. When you don't get anything out of that event because no one knows who you are, they just consumed your information, right? You didn't go and actually talk to anyone. Yep. So, what I found is that a lot of people who think, you know, quote, social media doesn't work, they'll post content maybe, but if they're not engaging with people, if they're not having micro conversations, you know, through the DMs on Instagram or LinkedIn messages, Facebook Messenger, the comment section, liking other posts you know, sharing, you know, things via social media with other people, you're not actually building relationships. You're just putting up billboards every single day. Right. So what I find is that for a lot of different businesses, it's easy to find your target market on LinkedIn because you can type in, you know, software sales, or you can type in, you know, whatever you know industry that you're trying to target and you can, you can search for those people. You can connect with them. But you can't stop there because LinkedIn isn't a a great platform for engaging. You know, that's not like the platform that people tend to go on to like kill time, right? So you have to then go and find them on Facebook, go and find them on Instagram so that you become omnipresent across all these platforms, right? It doesn't matter what platform they log on. As long as you're posting content, they're going to see you, which in turn increases your relevance and brings them through the trust curve that much faster because, you know, trust is built with, you know, a handful of different, uh, uh, reasons. But one of the main reasons, uh, you know, is the accumulation of experiences, not just based on time. So you can build a ton of trust with someone in three weeks and, you know, have a more in depth relationship than someone that you've known for three years because you've just accumulated way more experiences with that person. So it's all about engaging on those platforms and actually having conversations with these people. And over time, they turn into something where you can say something along the lines of, you know, hey, Adam, I know we've been connected for some time, uh, but haven't had a chance to actually connect. You know, would love to hop on a quick 15-minute phone call if you're open to it. would love to hear, you know, more about what you're striving for in 2020 and see how I may be of service at some point along the way or see if there's anyone that I can introduce you to. You know, would you be open to that, right? If you use that line when you first connect with someone, they may not, probably not, you know, they're not going to take you up on that. But if you've been connected with someone for a few months now and you've interacted with them, you know, 50 different times as small as a like, and as in depth as a micro conversation through, you know, their direct messages on Instagram, they're going to be much more likely to take you up on that offer. And then you successfully brought that relationship offline and on the phone. And then that's where you start to gain some additional momentum from a monetary perspective.
0: And that's such an important point, because I think a lot of us um, especially myself I get them every day and I'm sure a lot of listeners do get unsolicited requests or direct messages especially on LinkedIn oh, to, get on, to get on a phone call and I don't know who they are I just connected them with the day before because they reached out to me and it's an obvious hey I want to sell you something and, and I think to myself why would I want to even talk to you I know you are just calling to try and sell me something you don't really care how do you how do you stay out of that with that direct yeah. message?
1: Because direct so
0: messages I, are important, but how do you stay away from the
1: Yeah? So it's it's funny. Like if I, you know, get a request from someone where it's like, hey, um, you know, I, I you know your profile really stood out to me. I would love to connect to you on LinkedIn. It's like, you know, first of all, I know it's automated, but I want to respond where it's like, what on my profile was interesting to you, you know? Um so I, I think to avoid that. Finding a, like an actual mutual connection, not just hey, I noticed that we had some mutual connections, but you know, uh, hey, I noticed that you're connected to John. I spoke with him, and uh, you know, he mentioned that you had a great relationship, and thought it made sense for us to connect here on LinkedIn. You know, you could do that, or you could just shoot them a connection request, and when they accept, you know, don't go in for an ask. Just say, you know, hey, Adam, thanks for accepting the connection request. You know, I see, you know, that you're doing X, Y, and Z, which is awesome. You know, looking forward to continuing to build our relationship. Right? Period. So you don't go in for the ask. And then if they're posting content regularly, make sure you're engaging with that content. Go and find them on Facebook. Go and find them on Instagram. Right? Engage with them in a supportive, in a collaborative, in an encouraging way, not in a, uh, you know, don't do it as a solicitation. And then you'll get – a like if they're receptive to that and they're communicating back with you, you'll notice that the relationship is starting to be built. And at that point, most people are pretty intuitive where you're going to know when it's appropriate to go in for the ask of whatever that ask is. Typically, it's, you know, hey, let's take this connection offline and see how we can can be of service to each other. Um, So it's all about, you know, being patient with the results but speedy with your actions. So if you're only connecting with one person a day, as an example, well, those are pretty important for you to, to make a living, right? And you, it's like you need them to respond and you need to figure out if you can monetize them. But if you are connecting with 50 people a day, right? Right. You can be, and you're doing that on a, on a consistent basis, you can be patient with the results because you're going to have a pipeline of new people who are getting to know you and what you do and you know understand that by being associated with you, they're going to get value from that and stuff will come from it. What comes from it or what the exact ratio is, I don't know. I just know that when you put out enough good stuff and you have the right intentions, it tends to work out.
0: No I think that that's so important, and I, and I appreciate just the, the thoughtfulness about that because it's the hardest thing to do is be patient and learn about people and let the opportunity present itself. So last question for me as, as we wrap up here you you've been a trainer, you've been a coach, you've built a business and and you've you've been acquired so you've been through a lot in your time in business. how do you continue to stay close to the client and close to the the coaching and the benefit that you bring them and run a business at the same time because they're, they're a little bit different skill sets and and one can take precedence over the
1: other. So how do you personally balance the two? That's a really good question. Um, I find more time in the day. So I'll I'll start with that. So, you know, typically I'm, excuse me, uh, typically I'm up, anywhere from three thirty to four thirty uh, every single day. And I typically don't take any client meetings until nine or 10 in the morning. And my morning hours are spent on, uh, any backend stuff that I need to do. It's spent, uh, working out and getting my mind right, consuming information, you know, through audio books and podcasts, as well as, you know, engaging on social media, creating content. Um, but more, uh, you know, more tactical than that, I make it a point to advance what I call advance five relationships every single day. So for example, it can be as, you know, serious as, you know, getting lunch with someone and as simple as, you know, sharing a podcast with them. Right. But my point is, is that if I can advance five relationships every single day with clients, prospects, family, friends, etc. I'm always staying top of mind and then come nine, 10 o'clock in the morning when I'm client facing, then I'm fully present there. And if I have any breaks during the day, you know, I'm always on my phone. I'm always on my email. I'm always on social media, you know, not just, you know, doing it to unplug, but to strategically engage with certain people and, you know, I'll respond to their stories on Instagram, you know, comment on their posts. So it's, it's just, always being in, in relationship building mode from the time that you wake up to the time that you go to bed. And based on the technology that we have and the phones that we have access to and, and everything that you know, 2020 is, has given us from a, a technology perspective, it's pretty easy to do those things at scale. Um, and then the other thing on top of that is I make it a point to call two people every single day just to check in and see how they're doing during some of my transitional moments, be it when I'm in the car or in between client appointments. So I'm just constantly, constantly, constantly trying to stay top of mind with people. And that's how I balance it, you know, outside of my actual client facing time, because I want to make sure that people realize that, you know, I I care about them more so than just our scheduled time. But I'm going to build a relationship with these people, you know, in between as well, because... People stay clients and people refer new clients based on the relationship, you know, so I want to make sure that that relationship is, is rock solid. And that's, to me, worth waking up at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning to do so.
0: We've been talking to David DeSalle here on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. David, I appreciate you being here and making it so easy to follow the steps and making it so easy to advance the relationships, as you said. Thanks for
1: the time and thanks for the knowledge thanks for having me, and uh, I also want to thank uh, John Kennedy, who introduced us he's one of my clients who I have a great relationship with, and he was on your show and because of that relationship, he was confident in making uh, this introduction, so this wouldn't happen if it wasn't for John so uh, John, if you're listening, thank you and it's uh, it's cool how the world works. It definitely is it definitely
0: is and John, thank you as well. We had a great conversation and David. I, you know, I think we've talked about it. My whole family's from uh, the northern shore of, uh, just north of Boston, where where you were uh, cleaning boats back in the day. So we have a lot in common, and that and that's how the world really does work. We find commonalities, and then we take them to the next level. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Take care. Th- thank you, and thanks everyone for listening to the Entrepreneurs MBA podcast. Definitely listen to John Kennedy's episode from a few weeks back. It's great. And thanks for listening to this one. Look forward to having you on the next show. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.